Dr. David Perlmutter. Welcome again to The Empowering Neurologist. Today our interview is with Dr. John Dooliard. I've known Dr. Dooliard for many, many years. Uh, he is a globally recognized leader in the fields of natural health medicine. He's also specializing in Ayurveda, which is uh, an ancient Indian traditional medicine practice, as well as sports medicine. He is the creator of LifeSpa.com, which is the leading Ayurvedic health and wellness resource that you'll find on the web. Uh, Dr. Dooliard is the former uh, director of player development and nutrition uh, for the New Jersey Nets, which is an NBA basketball team. He's also the author of seven health books, including his newest book called Eat Wheat, uh, which is what we're going to be talking about today. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. He has appeared on the Dr. Oz program. He's been featured in USA Today, the LA Times, and many other national publications. He's been in practice for more than 30 years and currently lives and practices in Boulder, Colorado. We're going to be talking today about his new book called uh, Eat Wheat. Um, you might be intrigued as to why we'd be talking about a book with uh, such a compelling title, and you're about to find out why. So here we go. Well, hi, Dr. Dooliard. It's great to see you again after all these years. Great to see you, Dr. Perlmutter, as well. And just uh, for our viewers, uh, Dr. Dooliard and I have known each other, I think, about 25 years. So we have a, we go way, way back, and it's, it's, uh, this is a great moment. So here we are, and you have a new book uh, called Eat Wheat, which I think uh, we would all agree is, um, at least <laughs> certainly based on the title, wouldn't necessarily be in agreement with what I've been talking about in terms of grain brain. So tell us why you wrote this book, what you're hoping to accomplish. Well, you know, I think you and I both started many, many years ago, and the conditions that I treated in my practice back then were, you know, uh, Epstein-Barr, chronic fatigue, candida issues, people having lots of fatigue-related issues. And one of the first things you would tell people back then was get off of wheat and dairy, and they would get better for a while. Then they'd come back in my office six months later, and the problems would come back. All their fatigue symptoms would come back. they say, well, get off of meat and get off of, you know, more grains, get off of all the hard to digest things. Then they become a vegetarian and then a vegan and a raw foodist. And we've been kicking the ball down the road, never really addressing the underlying problem. And I totally get that people who eat wheat feel bad. And why would you eat it if you feel bad? But the reason why I wrote the book was because I, over the last 30 years, I've been actually specializing in rebooting people's digestive strength and watching people who couldn't eat wheat and had all types of food intolerance and allergy issues be able to digest wheat again. And as we get into this, you're gonna, my perspective is not that everybody needs to eat wheat, but if you were once able to eat wheat and now you can't, the digestive system is the same system as our detoxification system. And if we can't digest hard to digest foods again, we just take them out of our diet, we have 400 billion pounds of toxic chemicals dumped in the American environment every year. We're, we're eating, you know, lacing, or all of our foods are laced with pesticides, which literally break down our digestive system. So if we don't begin to reboot that, wheat may not be the issue at all. It's the environmental pollutants and toxins that are breaking us down, causing real problems down the road that we might actually be, you know, not addressing. And similar to what we did with cholesterol 60 years ago. We said cholesterol was the cause of heart disease. Turned out it's not. The replacement fats that they gave us, which are processed fats, refined bleached, deodorized fats, which are completely indigestible to make things last longer on a shelf, have directly broken down our ability to digest, congested our liver, our gallbladders, which directly is linked to obesity, diabetes, depression, and the great 
digestive breakdown, which sure, everybody's saying stop eating wheat. It makes sense. It's hard to digest. But why? I think that we might be we might have found wheat guilty without giving it a fair trial. And in my book, we have over 600 scientific references suggesting that wheat actually has health benefits and is not as poisonous as we might think. And that's why I'm so delighted that you're willing to just batter around and dance around the science on both sides of this aisle and, and see where we end up. Okay. Well, you just mentioned the health benefits of wheat. Could you tell us what that means? Well, you know, there are studies that show that, for one, <clears throat> Studies at the University of Utah and elsewhere found that there was wheat in the teeth of ancient humans, three or gluten from wheat and barley, in the teeth of ancient humans 3.4 to 4 million years ago, suggesting that we have been eating wheat for, for millions of years, and we've only been eating meat, most, most agree, about 500,000 years, hunting our own meat. So from that perspective, we have significantly more genetics for eating wheat than we actually do eating meat. The science shows that that we have, and there's studies to back this up that I talk about, there's enzymes in the mouth, esophagus, stomach, small and large intestine that are specifically able to digest and break down the hard to digest gluten molecule. And when we ingest pesticides and preservatives and toxins and break down our digestion, we lose that benefit. But there are studies that show that, that uh, for example, the Mediterranean diet and the mind diet, which includes three servings of whole wheat per day, actually reduces the risk of Alzheimer's by 54%. There are studies that show when you take whole wheat versus refined wheat, that the whole wheat reduces the risk of Alzheimer's dementia significantly where the refined wheat doesn't. If so I may of, stop you for just a moment, yeah. I, I don't want our viewers to be um, led to believe that the MIND diet uh, and the findings uh, in terms of reduced risk for Alzheimer's means that it's because those diets contain grain. Uh, right. These are fairly comprehensive dietary changes with right. lots of other things uh, aside right. from grain. So, you know, I, I think, is it fair mm -hmm. to necess necessarily say the reason it's such a good diet is because it contains grain? No, I don't think that. I think that, but they did do studies where they compared whole grains to refined grains, and they found that the refined grains they had no benefit on cognitive function and mental clarity, mental examination testing. So they did compare those two, and there was a definite benefit in that regard. And I think a lot of the diets, and it's so difficult to find a diet that isn't that is just wheat or just grains or just carbohydrates. I'm, I'm totally on board. Sugar is a dangerous substance and dangerous for the brain chemistry. But whole grains in their natural state have actually have a, a low, a, a relatively low glycemic index compared to refined grains, which are damaging. In one study, they had. Uh, the increase of processed foods increased the risk of metabolic syndrome, which is high blood pressure, high blood sugar, belly fat, high cholesterol, by 141%. And in the same study, this was in diabetic, Diabetes Care, the Journal of Diabetes Care, in the same study, when they ate whole, whole foods, non-processed foods, including whole grains and whole wheat, they reduced the risk of, of uh, metabolic syndrome by 38%. So there is science out there suggesting that you know, wheat does help people lose weight, or whole grains help people lose weight. People who have more whole grains in their diet, I should say, actually, compared to people who have less whole grains in their diet, actually have lower, uh, have been shown to lose weight more effectively. Their cognitive decline is significantly less. Uh, their memory is greater. They live longer. A big Harvard study showed that people live 16% longer when people eat more whole grains than eat less whole grains. Well, let, if I may, 
Um, I, I really want to differentiate all of your, your discussion just now on whole grains. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I'm familiar with what you're referring to. But the title of your book is Eat Wheat. It's not eat whole grains. I know you talk about whole grains in the book, but it specifically portrays the notion that wheat is what we should be eating. When we talk about whole grains, we're talking about rice and we're talking about hopefully <clears throat> non-GMO corn uh, and right. other forms of grain that are included under the uh, rubric of whole grains. So I think to be, to be fair, it's important that we differentiate uh, a gluten-containing grain, which is wheat, from the whole grain discussion. Right. Well, it's also there are studies that show that that whole wheat lowers the risk of type two diabetes, and and even whole wheat or and and particularly grains like camut have been shown to reduce inflammation factors significantly. So there definitely are studies that show that wheat in its natural form, whole form, definitely does that as well. There's just so many studies. Some are whole grains. Most of the whole grain studies actually include whole wheat. The Mediterranean diet studies, the, the DASH diet studies, all those include whole grains and whole wheat for sure. They're part of the diet. And I'm not suggesting people should eat. I agree. We have overeaten wheat significantly three times a day for 30, 40, 50 years in a processed form. is nothing but bad for you. Wheat was a seasonal grain harvested in the fall for winter eating. And we have enzymes like amylase that have been shown to increase in the winter and decrease in the spring and the summer, suggesting that we are in a circadian way connected to the harvest of nature. Microbes, as you know, change from one season to the next in the soil. The foods we eat have those microbes on them, and they become our new microbiome that change dramatically from one season to the next. So eating wheat, which is a fall grain every day of the year for 30, 40 years in a processed form, is a dangerous road to hoe, and I think very, very bad for you. But to throw wheat, which you've been eating for 3.4 to 4 million years, out and say that is the new poison, when there's so many other things that I really believe, and I see clinically, you need to be fixed first, like the repair of the digestion, get the processed foods out of diet, eat organically, get the pesticides out of our diet, and repair our intestinal skin, because when you, when you don't repair the intestinal skin, we become so much more vulnerable to other, maybe more and, and more significantly dangerous concerns down the road. Well, the statement that we've been eating uh, wheat for three to four million <clears throat> years um, it, it's, uh, you know, I want to just challenge that for a moment if I can yeah. and recognize that agriculture itself was developed 12,000 years ago. And I think, you know, the, the notion that we might have stumbled upon something that, that was wheat-like or had gluten in it and we foraged and ate that. But, you know, I think you'd agree that what happened 12,000 years ago in terms of the, the pervasiveness of wheat in terms of representing a significant percentage of, of the food that we ate really changed the playing field dramatically. I think it, it definitely did, and things began to become hybridized at that time. But the, pretty much the entire continent of Africa was covered in grasses, and much of those grasses were wheat and barley and had a lot of gluten in it. And the science shows that, you know, uh, in the book, uh, David Lieberman's book, The Story of the Human Body, the Harvard researcher, said that, that the ancient humans were eating up to 35 to 45 percent of their diet as carbohydrates. Now, a lot has to do if you're living in Alaska. Of course, that didn't happen. So, so much of that has to do with where you were on the planet. But, but you know, when you look into, into the anthropology, it suggests that we really did have quite a diverse diet. The hunters weren't the greatest hunters. And the hunter, the gathering was what really fed us. And much of that was gathering wheat berries. The studies show that they could gather about 
uh, in two hours enough wheat berries to feed them for an entire day, which is a pretty easy job compared to trying to hunt a woolly mammoth, for example. So, so I guess there's a lot of debate on that side of the coin, but there's definitely some really interesting science to say that our ancient ancestors did, in fact, um, there's even theories to say that the amylase enzyme, which we genetically adapted to get, sort of came in some around the time we started eating more of these grains, which was way before we started eating meat, because hunting meat was much more difficult, much more challenging to figure out. Well, then, based upon that, retrospectively, uh, what does the message that that then serves to our listeners today in terms of their food choices? I mean, in the book, you talk about uh, whole grains, about fermented uh, grains, possibly reducing the availability of toxic proteins. And yet, you know, the message that I'm, I'm hoping we're not going to give is that people should continue on their merry way eating their croissants at breakfast and their hamburger buns at lunch and their baguette at dinner. So I want to be real clear about what we're telling people John Dooliard is recommending that they do. Well, absolutely not. Like I said, I think we have completely overeaten it. We've processed the heck out of this food to the point where it is indigestible and it has broken down our digestive system. I think people who don't do well with wheat should stop it. But don't stop there, is my message. Let's see if we can start to rebuild your digestive strength because your ability to detoxify and your immune strength is dependent on it. And I didn't write this in the, in the book, but there are some recent studies that have shown that, that when you stop eating, what we've done in our diet, David, and I think you would agree, is we sterilized our environment with antibacterial everything. We're now can't digest hard to digest food, so we take those out of our diet. And there are some studies that show that when people who actually eat a gluten-free diet, celiac folks, have four times as much mercury in their blood as people who actually ate wheat. Another study showed that people who actually are on a gluten-free diet actually have significantly less good bacteria and more bad bacteria than people who actually eat wheat. And one final study showed that people who actually are on a gluten-free diet actually had less killer T cells, a measure of immunity, than people who actually ate uh, more, actually, actually ate more wheat. Well, I Suggesting think I'd, that I'd agree that the twin studies uh, have shown that yeah. um, environmental issues play a huge role in terms of who's going to experience a full-blown uh, gluten uh, issue, uh, whether it's celiac disease, which uh, even in twins is not necessarily genetic, and certainly non-celiac gluten sensitivity uh, being brought on by some of the things you talk about in the book, things that are toxic to the gut and therefore allow increased gut permeability and allow uh, a deeper level of exposure to gliadin, a component of gluten, and therefore challenging of our immune system. But I wonder how you would then explain in World War II how uh, suddenly when um, Europe was deprived of wheat, there was a dramatic reduction in schizophrenia as opposed to here in America where our diets actually were increased in, in wheat availability and schizophrenia actually soared. I think, you know, that's sort of like when we said, these studies show that, you know, taking more wheat, less wheat, but there's so many other factors that are happening at that time of their life. I mean, uh, you know, in Europe, the war was over. The levels of stress levels were dramatically lower. I mean, there's so many variables there. I don't know if we can call that a cause and effect. You know what I mean? But back well, to the... Um, to, other, yeah, go uh, ahead. other studies in the South Pacific have demonstrated that the risk of schizophrenia was 1 in 30,000 prior to the... Uh, prior to the availability of wheat and then dropped to one in a hundred, really strongly correlating with, with wheat exposure. And this is not, uh, you know, exposing these people to pesticides and herbicides and antibiotics. 
Right. And there are studies that I wrote in my book that show that some studies show that we can actually reduce the risk of schizophrenia. So there are studies on the other side of the aisle there as well. So, so you know, I think that that's the whole point is we do have studies showing that we can be harmful and there's studies that show that we can be beneficial. And I think, you know, there's hundreds of studies in that regard to look at. So, and that's why I was like, hey, how are you looking at the whole picture here? What's, what could, could there be something else involved besides just the fact that wheat is actually a poison? And I think that, that, that when you look at the fact that wheat um, is very difficult to digest, and when the digestive system is not strong, the protein molecules, both in dairy and wheat, are not broken down completely. And when that happens, instead of getting uptaken into the bloodstream to deliver it as nutrition, those hard-to-digest protein molecules get uptaken into the collecting ducts of the lymphatic system. And lymphatic system lines your intestinal tract, and that's where 80% of your immune system is. And that is a, a baseline delivery system for energy, vitality, detoxification. And new research two years ago, as you know, has found about that there's brain lymphatics that they didn't know existed before that actually drain about three pounds of toxic chemicals and plaque out of your brain every single year. And if the lymph around the belly is congested, and the brain lymphs that drain while you're sleeping are not draining, they've linked the congestion of those brain lymphs to anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, inflammation, infection, and autoimmune conditions. Many of the concerns that we see with, with weed concerns. The skin-associated lymph was a way out for the impurities to get out through your skin is causing rashes. So my contention is that when the digestive system breaks down, the hard-to-digest proteins, the allergenic foods, become way more irritating than they should. As irritants in a healthy body, they stimulate immunity, while the Amish have the lowest rates of asthma on the planet. And they found that because they're running barefoot in the barns and breathing all this dust, when they measured the dust, it was the dust that had irritants that triggered the respiratory epithelium to trigger a powerful immune response, giving them the lowest levels of asthma, suggesting that Certain foods that are irritating, which you know, we've been eating tomatoes and potatoes, they're, they're poisonous foods that we've slowly over many years learned how to adapt. Phytic acids, even some of the lectins have turned out to be you know, hard on one hand, but very beneficial on another. So when you look and say, well, in a healthy digestive system, these foods may actually be quite beneficial. Uh, but in an unhealthy digestive system, they're going to go right into your lymph, congest your lymph, and cause the brain-grain effect, which I think you're so you've so brilliantly pointed out. But I also agree that we may have gone a little too far with all the carbohydrates. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And uh, so who then among us in our Western cosmopolitan world uh, is going to be okay eating wheat? Well, you know, we know that 1% of the population is celiac, obviously not. Maybe it's an underdiagnosed amount, maybe 3% of the population. So clearly they have hypersensitivity to wheat. Clearly, if you feel bad eating wheat, I would highly suggest not to eat it. But before you make that permanent decision, and if you did decide to eat wheat, it should be wheat, the ingredients should be something like whole wheat, water, salt, and an organic starter. That takes three days to bake that bread, gets hard in a day, as opposed to the bread on the grocery store shelf that can just stay squishy for a month because of all these undigestible fats and, and preservatives that are in them. That is a toxin for us to eat. But small amounts of that bread in season, I think for most folks, they can break bread again without running the risk of having severe problems. But in the meantime, we have to scrub and run a fine tooth comb through your digestive strength and see if and where that has broken down and support and repair that, that digestive process. So then your book really talks about how to make that happen. How do you repair exactly. the gut 
So really the people who can eat wheat are those who basically adopt your program and go through a really stringent process of trying to offset the damage to their gut that our modern world has imparted. I think a lot of people today are, the gluten-free industry is a $16 billion a year industry now. There's marketing dollars behind this, this notion. A lot of people eat wheat, stop eating wheat because they don't want to gain weight. They don't necessarily feel bad when they eat it. And I think that people can really, if they take the processed wheat out of their diet, they eat whole wheat in season, in moderation, they probably can digest wheat right away. But the folks who have real digestive concerns are at real risk for severe immune compromised issues and down the road by not addressing the real problem. Because if you just take wheat out of your diet, how do you deal with the mercury from the coal mine electrical plants that are on every single organic vegetable? And you can't, and you eat that, you can't digest it. It's going right into your liver, your blood, your fat, and your brain. So by not addressing the digestive issue, which has been, has, has been linked to the processed foods and the preservatives and pesticides, and this acting like we take weed out of our diet and we're fine, I feel like in a way that sort of makes people think they have, it's a false sense of security when there's really more to do. Well, my contention is false sense of security or not that you know, when you have a discussion about how toxic our environment is and how we cannot escape the various toxins that are around us, that very few people are going to have a digestive system that's in good enough shape then using your thesis to be able to, to handle uh, wheat. And beyond that, uh, I look upon wheat and specifically the gluten that it contains along with other things as being yet another straw on the camel's back as it relates to being toxic to the gut. And my recommendation that people go wheat-free and gluten-free, especially, so encompassing barley and rye, is that it does represent a threat to the integrity of the gut lining, that 100% of people uh, in studies uh, that have looked at the gut lining in response to gliadin, a protein found in gluten, demonstrate uh, increased permeability without regard to other toxins present, without regard to changes in the gut bacteria. These are studies done on explants, on biopsies of the gut taken into the laboratory, so there's no effect of the gut bacteria. And gliadin specifically induces increased permeability of the gut lining. That's work from Harvard, Dr. Alessio Fasano's lab. So I'm wondering then how you respond to that. Well, there are studies here. I mean, I, there are studies that show that wheat, and particularly camut wheat, a done study done with camut, showed that camut versus modern refined grain actually created anti-inflammatory benefits for the intestinal tract and actually helped to reverse IBS-type syndromes. Another study from Denmark showed that people actually, we, it actually increases bifidobacteria in the gut and also increases epithelial resistance, which is the, when you have lack of that, you have leaky gut syndrome. So there actually are studies that say that when you actually do eat wheat, it can actually repair and help and heal the intestinal skin. I get that there are studies showing it does the opposite, but that was the part that was so confusing for me. I read the study to say this is really bad for you. Then I read studies to say it's really good for you. And that's what and my experience clinically was. I'm helping people get through this and be able to digest wheat again. And I was like, you know, you know, we, we went down the wrong road. It took us 60 years to figure out cholesterol was a mistake. Are we doing the same thing? Because you're not saying just wheat. You're really, it's grain brain. You want, you're after all grains, and I feel like, God, that's something we, really, we need to debate. I'm so grateful that you're willing to have this debate. Yeah, and you know, my contention with Grain Brain was that there are uh, certain grains that you can feel free to consume, uh, non-gluten-containing grains. Uh, rice, for yeah. example, a seed of grass is a grain, and I said it's good to have a, a small amount of whole grain rice, but in moderation, the caveat there being, of course, the carb content. So... 
Uh, grain brain was specific <clears throat> in dealing with carbs and with, with dealing with, with gluten. Uh, let me get back, if I could, to the gluten notion and look at the work of uh, researchers like um, Aristo Vojdani, who I published a couple of papers with, uh, where we demonstrated antibodies against uh, gliadin uh, that were actually shared with, uh, that actually attacked parts of the brain. And this actually picks up on the work of Dr. Marius Hajivasalu in England, demonstrating an autoimmune molecular mimicry kind of cascade of events occurring in the brains of humans uh, because of the immune system being challenged to produce antibodies against some of the components in gluten. Well, I would suggest that, that a lot of proteins that are undigested and completely broken down are going to be you know, allergenic and toxic to the body. And that's why we have a very sophisticated way of digesting and breaking these things down. But when the intestinal skin or epithelium breaks down and these hard to digest proteins end up in the lymphatic system where they can swell the lymph, push those toxins and fats into the fat around the belly, they can push out through your skin and congest your lymphatics of the brain, I can definitely see how that can be a problem. But I really believe that a lot of people have grossly congested lymphatic you know, systems that are causing a host of chronic diseases. And the studies show that, like I said, autoimmunity, which are inflammation, infection, anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, these are the epidemics of our time. And there are volumes of research in the medical journal saying that lymphatic system is so important, but very little is clinically applied. And that, that research hasn't happened. And I feel like, and that's what I write in my, in my newsletters, my blogs, I take the ancient wisdom of, of ancient traditions and, and who understood lymphatic flow, take that and prove it with modern science or bring the two together and then try to give clinical application to bring some of these systems back into balance, first and foremost digestion, and then understanding the lymphatic system, which Western medicine doesn't understand very well yet. And I think that's what we're looking at is a, is a, is a drain, a brain drain congestive issue as opposed to a grain brain issue. The grains, when they're not digested, become significantly harmful for your body. But let's digest those things. We've been doing it. I mean, you know, it's debatable, but for millions of years, we have enzymes for digesting the, 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 the glottons in, in, in the stomach, esophagus, small and large intestine. We have obviously adapted quite significantly to be able to do this, but a lot of us can't. And I think that if we don't just say, if we just say we're too far gone, the pesticides are too much, we have a digestive system that can break down the pesticides and the mercury, but most of us are so toxic from all the processed foods we can't. So I'm let like, me, on, let me hold hey, there for a moment. Yeah. Most of us are so toxic uh, from all the toxic, uh, the foods that we can't. In other words, we can't break down the, the gluten and the gliadin and things like I, that. I, I think most that's why us. it's an epidemic. I think that's right. why, so why the gluten. Most of us then shouldn't eat wheat. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I'm saying that a lot of people who are who are can't eat wheat and have issues with wheat, and I agree with that, and I totally understand why people wouldn't want to eat because they feel bad, but my point is there are things you can do that are not so complicated, as you say, that can help to repair that so you can actually begin to eat wheat. And if the studies are true, that these hard-to-digest phytic acids and lectins act as intestinal irritants to stimulate our immune response, and there's four or five studies suggesting that that when we purify our diet and make it so easy to digest, we lose the immune stimulation. Is that, you know, a message of a dangerous, you know, road to hoe down the road if we continue to just take everything hard to digest out of our diet? When we've been eating, anthropologists will tell you, we've been eating poisons for millions of years. And that's part of our evolution, to be able to process those and figure them out. And to take one part and say the whole is bad, 
I feel like, when, and there's science on both sides, and my clinical experience is like people can actually begin to eat wheat again. I just felt compelled to write the book because I felt, I felt like there's more to this story than just grains or wheat is bad. Okay, then if most people right now uh, should not be eating wheat, but uh, should they repair their uh, digestion, repair their immune systems, and amplify their lymphatic drainage, etc., there would come a time when perhaps these individuals could eat or tolerate wheat. How do they know that they've reached that point? Well, I think one of the ways is you, you and I talk about in the book, is how to really troubleshoot your digestive system. How do you do when you eat? fatty foods, you have issues with indigestion or burping or, or nausea, you know, how do you, do you get gas or bloating when you eat certain foods? And we troubleshoot every aspect of the digestive system, you try to pinpoint where the problem is. It's not as complicated as you might think. And then you can realize that I need to eat foods to repair my intestinal skin, like soluble fibers, like slippery and marshmallow, licorice I need my gallbladder is so congested. The number one surgery today in America is gallbladder surgeries, and that's because of all the undigestible fats we've been eating that congest the liver and the gallbladder. The gallbladder makes bile. Bile helps you go to the bathroom, but also bile is a detoxifier, but bile also buffers the acid in your stomach. And if the liver is congested from all the bad fats, you don't have enough bile to buffer and neutralize the acid in your stomach. Your stomach won't make the acid, or it'll hold on to the acid, give you heartburn, and eventually somebody says, man, there's so much acid here and there's no bile to neutralize it, the stomach just says, I'm going to stop producing acid in the first place. And all of a sudden, there goes your ability to digest anything hard to digest, including the toxic environment. So that's not that difficult to treat. There's bile movers, cholagogs that you can do. You can increase your diet. A lot of it's just adding the right stuff into your diet and taking the processed food and let the body heal itself. It's not that complicated. I mentioned Dr. Marius Hajivasalu, researcher in England, uh, he calls our attention to the notion that sometimes the neurological consequences of uh, gluten exposure may manifest without any gastrointestinal uh, uh, complaints whatsoever, and that we always should be uh, on guard and uh, aware of this and, and think about gluten sensitivity. You know, he's demonstrated MRI scans with diffuse white matter lesions that are associated with gluten uh, issue sensitivity in people without any gastrointestinal complaint. So again, how does somebody know, uh, and these are people in whom blood work uh, was negative as well, how does somebody know? And this is where I think what I do is that one of the first systems I evaluate is the people's lymphatic system. And when the lymphatic system gets congested, you're gonna have so many little signs and symptoms along the way, way before neurological damage. Rashes on your skin, swelling on your fingers, gaining weight around your belly, you know, holding on to more water, bloating, feeling stiff in the morning, allergies, sinus problems, uh, uh, you know, uh, funguses on your toes. Women, before they menstruate, the, this premenstrual fluid detox moves through the lymphatic system, making their breast swell or tender and they break out. People get headaches, migraine headaches. There's so many signs along the way that I treat clinically that I see the lymphatic system congested and then we back up into their digestive system where it starts and we reboot that. So I would, I would totally expect to see that signs of neurological damage may be happening in the brain tissue, but I would, I would, I would, would love to see the, the, the history of those folks. And, 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 and I've been doing this for 30 years, treating the lymphatic system and the drainage of the lymph system first, because that's the drains in the body. And if, you can't, if the drains are clogged, you're going to have troubles. 
But we don't address that at all in Western medicine. But if we begin to look at that and detoxify that system, all of a sudden the body feels lighter. It's not de- de- not toxifying. It's not pushing rashes out through the skin. And of course, now we now we know. Two years ago, they didn't think there were any lymphatics in the brain, but now we know that there's major lymphs in the brain. And when they're congested, you're gonna have toxins backing up into the brain tissue, into your cerebral spinal fluid. And that cerebral spinal fluid gets congested and toxic. It's gonna spill into your brain tissue and cause real problems. So I think that, um, if, if I may, that what you're saying is that anything that increases gut permeability will increase a person's reaction, not just to gluten, but to other uh, proteins as well, Certain, uh, certainly casein found in milk, cow's milk, and other proteins. When you challenge the permeability uh, by exposure to toxins, antibiotics, medications, chlorinated water, etc., things that then cause the gut to become permeable, you set the stage for bad uh, immune inflammatory reactions to proteins that otherwise would not have been an issue. My disagreement with you, however, uh, comes from the notion that gluten itself, gliadin makes up part of gluten, itself actually increases the permeability as well. And therefore, um, you know, that's, uh, it's difficult for me then to accept this notion that you know, there's a time when we should welcome wheat back to the table because I think it's going to work against what we're trying to repair. Yeah, and I, and I and like I said, I think there are studies that show that that wheat actually, in some cases, is shown to heal and repair the intestinal skin and repair IBS and leaky gut syndrome. So there are studies on that side of the aisle as well. I agree that that wheat is a hard to digest protein, and if it's not digested completely, it can be an irritant. But I think it's the overwhelming overeating of it overwhelming overeating in general that has broken the system down we know that there are actually uh there are actually enzymes and microbes in the gut and that gluten when it gets into the large intestine feeds and and supports the growth of short chain fatty acids like butyric acid in the large intestinal tract in a significant manner which is the main driver of immunity and blood sugar regulation in your intestinal in your in, in from the large intestine so when you see that there's all these enzymes in your large intestine for gluten, it makes you think that some of that gluten is supposed to get down in there. Some of it's not supposed to get broken down in the small intestine. Some of it's supposed to get broken down in the stomach. And in a, in a, in a healthy form with a healthy intestinal tract, that these aren't irritating. But like you said, and I agree with you, in a broken down system, we have issues. And I think that just... And I, and I also agree that we should take the wheat and the dairy and the hard to digest foods out of the diet and then do everything we can to repair and rebuild because that's our immune strength. That's our detoxification strength. And if we don't do that, we're going to go down to this, you know, this dependent longevity thing we have in America. People are living longer but on pills and powders for the rest of their life or medications. And that's not where we want to go. I think all of us want to live healthy and really have a, and, and that stems from a, a really strong digestive system. We have a intestinal skin flattened out, it's as big as a tennis court. And as we age, that tennis court, you can't change that filter and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and less able to deliver and detoxify. And I think we have to protect that and nobody's talking about that. And just giving probiotics isn't enough. I'm a big fan of probiotics, but it isn't enough because you have to create an environment for those probiotics to stick and proliferate new permanent bacteria that can really repair and heal you. So I'm, I know you're a big probiotic guy and I believe in that, but there's an environment that they have to stick to. And that's what I'm saying we have to repair and fix. Studies show that, that there's three things that support our longevity. The health of the intestinal skin, 
the lymphatic system that lines the intestinal skin and the microbiology, which depends on the intestinal skin and the lymphatic system. And nobody's talking about lymph, nobody's talking about intestinal skin, we're only talking about probiotics and take the hard stuff out of the, di out of the diet. Not to mention, reboot the, the coordination between your stomach, your gallbladder, your liver, your pancreatic, duodenal enzymes, all that can be re-coordinated for us so we can detoxify and digest significantly better. Well, I wanna just get back to the, you know, what I think if I were at a bookstore, and yeah. I see a book cover, it says, eat wheat. And um, I think to be clear, we're, you're saying that most people right now should not eat wheat. I'm saying, no, I think a lot of people, most people today are not eating wheat because for the wrong reasons. They wanna lose weight, they feel like they, it's a healthier, cleaner diet. And I feel like that's, and the, and the gluten-free industry, which is a $16 billion a year industry, is feeding us processed versions of wheat, which is the same processed food that got us into this mess in the first place. So I think if they would just start eating wheat in moderation, in season, in a, in a, in a non-processed form, they could be fine with wheat today. But the bread on the store shelf that lasts a month without with, with never getting hard and staying squishy, to me, that is an indigestible substance. And your microbes won't eat it. And since we're 90% micro, why should we? Okay, so I'm not so saying I'm not saying what you're saying actually no. Okay, uh, well let me just be real clear about it because I think there are a lot of people who are going to listen to this and want to make some decisions based upon some conclusions yeah. that we draw. Your Good. book is called Eat Wheat, and are you saying that most people right now should, right now before they do anything, should or shouldn't be eating wheat? I think that people who are currently eating wheat and a very large percentage of people who are actually gluten free who don't have symptoms should should would could be are allowed should be able to eat wheat but they should definitely stop eating the processed forms of that bread like you said the croissants and the burger buns all that that's just got to go and then start eating our artisan bread that has just simple ingredients wheat salt water and a starter and okay. that's it and what time of year can people eat the bread that you're talking about? Well, luckily this is the holidays and this is when the amylase enzyme, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is specifically relates to increasing digestive strength, actually increases in the winter time. So our digestive strength, our digestive nuts and seeds and soups and stews and meats and grains are more appropriate this time of the year than other times of year. In the spring and the summer, things change. There was a study done where they had a deer and a deer uh, was, uh, they eat bark in the winter and they have microbes to digest bark in the winter. If the deer ate and they eat leaves in the summer and they have microbes for the leaves. But if they gave the deer the bark in the summer, they wouldn't have the right microbes and it, caused, so it could cause such a level of indigestion in the deer when they eat out of season, it could kill the deer. And I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Deer die when they eat or potentially die when they eat out of season and we as humans eat from all over the world, we don't know what's in season, when, where, and there's microbes in the soil that change from season to season to season. And that's when I started putting out grocery lists and recipes and superfood lists for people to eat every month of the year for free. We put this out for folks for free. Here's what's in season in January and February and March. Here's recipes for that. To get people to get the organic foods with the bugs in that soil on those plants in their gut to change their microbiome to get immunity in the winter and decongestion in the spring and dissipating heat in the summer, so we can begin to connect. The big study and uh, article in Scientific America said that we as human beings have lost our connection to the circadian clock, and how important it is for us to reconnect, and as you know, our connection to that are 
the foods that we eat that are not organic, not, that, are, that, are not, that are organic, that are not sprayed, that get the right microbes that change. So, yeah, we, in the right season, you know, in, in, again, not tons of it, overeating it, uh, and, and having more in the, winter, in, the, in the winter and less in the spring and the summer, it seems so logical and so simple that we should just start to eat stuff that comes seasonally because there's microbes that change dramatically. Okay, uh, given that, uh, so we now are at a place that the bread should be this artisanal type of bread made, a bread made from simple ingredients without preservatives, and that we're only going to be having this bread in the fall and winter. Otherwise, I we- said that, that we should be eating, we have the ability to eat more of it, and the rest of the year, moderation. The diet is going to shift, people shift. More meats and stoops and stews and grains in the winter, more sweet fruits and uh, leafy greens and sprouts and berries and cherries in the spring, more fruits and vegetables in the summertime. The diet changes from higher protein and fat in the winter to low fat in the spring to high carb in the summer. If you and I lived off the farm, that's exactly what we would do. But we don't do that, and therefore we sort of slowly, cumulatively pay a circadian price. No question. Uh, but the, the other thing that I, I find... Um uh, a little bit challenging, though, is this notion that uh, you're saying that the reason that we're having such an issue when we are exposing our bodies to gluten and wheat germaglutins, uh, lectins, etc., is that we, under normal or better circumstances, when we were in better shape years back, before we were toxic and exposed to everything that we're exposed to, we could handle these things and process them quite readily didn't uh, present a threat to us, but does now, not because there's anything terrible about the bread, but because our systems are less able nowadays to, to process and to adapt to this challenge. That said, most people who live in the modern world are exposed to various medications, chlorinated water, um, lifestyle choices, eating out of season, etc., that does tend to upset the apple cart in terms of their digestive system and leads to this lymphatic a blockage, if you will, that you're that you're discussing, and therefore that's most people. Uh, is it not then fair to say that at least for now, until people uh, reestablish good gut health, that they should not be eating bread? Processed bread, yes, but when you look at the toxins in foods, the goitrogens that are in foods, and the oxalic acids in foods, and the selenium-rich foods, so many food, potatoes and tomatoes were toxic. There's so many poisons in our food. And if we looked at each of those poisons in our food as one part, we would find all kinds of reasons not to eat a lot of foods, all the broccoli and the brassicas family foods. So, so, so to just say that wheat is this one thing, I feel like, and when there is good science to say that wheat actually has lots of other benefits, whole wheat we're talking about, has lots of other benefits. I think that, 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 um, it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and I think that to say, yeah, that that people shouldn't eat wheat. I think it's part of our diet. It was never meant to be every single day. It's we, you know, we look at the the diet over the last fifty years. The the diversity of the of the worldwide diet has decreased by fifty eight percent. So we keep eating the same foods again and again, industrial made foods, and I think that's a very very dangerous road to go as well. And I think that wheat is part of that. Grains are part of that. Dairy is part of that. All these industrial foods, right. and we need to start but, eating but more this, diverse John, foods. I'd like to not go to uh, possible issues with broccoli and the fact yeah. that there was terrible literature about cholesterol that's been overturned. I'd like to focus on the central thesis of your book, and yeah. that is that the reason there can be issues with wheat 
is because our bodies, our systems have been so uh, perturbed by our modern environment and our modern choices in terms of when and how we eat and our exposure to various toxins that we are no longer generally able to process wheat appropriately and that if we reestablish good gut and lymphatic health, then wheat shouldn't be and uh, should be less of an issue for us and therefore we can eat it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the central thesis of the book, isn't it? I agree, yes. Okay. That said, most people are in the, the former situation where their bodies and are toxic and their um, <clears throat> levels of bacterial diversity have been compromised by antibiotics and other drugs. And they're really not ideal candidates to be eating wheat, at least right now, until they undergo this gut makeover that you're talking about. Is that, is that fair to say? I think that that... For a lot of people who have symptoms related to that, you're absolutely right. And I think that's for the people who shouldn't eat wheat. But my point is don't stop there because that could put you at risk for more further problems down the road that you might not know about right now. Um, So absolutely correct. People who actually don't have symptoms, if they get off the processed foods, that alone will probably start healing their intestinal system and they can begin to enjoy, you know, seasoned bread in in an artisan fashion in a seasonal way not overdoing it and not have an extreme relationship with wheat and have a moderate relationship with wheat, which we should with all foods. They should be seasonal and they should change seasonally, give the body a break from those things. That's how nature pulled it off for millions of years. Now, the metric that you're using uh, for decision making seems to be having symptoms from eating wheat, those who do have symptoms and those who don't have symptoms. There's a lot written these days about consequences of gut permeability that may not manifest as symptoms. But we see markers of inflammation being increased. Uh, For example, in the laboratory, we see higher levels of of antibodies in people eating wheat, for example, who may very well be asymptomatic. How would we answer those people who may want to? And that's that's exactly why I, and I don't think anybody has given people this information to be able to give them the, the, the troubleshooting process to go through to see before you've become diseased or have severe problems, What are the signs and symptoms? How has your body been speaking to you for so many, many, many years? And I have ignored it. I have gas and bloating. I have indigestion. I have a little bit of heartburn. My joints ache. Has anybody looked at that as your body speaking to you way before the symptoms become problematic? And that's what I do for folks. They lay out. Here are the things to look for for the lymphatic system. Here are the things to look for for the stomach, the gallbladder, for the small intestine, and be, or the large intestine, and how to repair and support those things. Simple things, mostly home remedies, that people can be do to take responsibility for their digestive health. And that will give them immune support down the road. I think, I think that, yes, if they feel yucky eating wheat, don't eat it. But let's also try to understand why other foods, in addition to wheat, are giving me such trouble. Because most folks, it's not just wheat, it's other foods they're having food intolerance issues with. Okay, it doesn't answer my question fully, though. Well, give and me you your just food, said, hit it me, hit me again. <laughs> okay, you said, yes, if I feel yucky eating wheat, then I shouldn't right. eat it. That's what you said. Right. Uh, and my, what I'm asking, though, is what about the people who don't feel yucky when they eat wheat? Is that enough uh, for well, them I did. I think I ahead? did. No, I did answer your question. I said that that's why I gave them in the book lists of diagnostic parameters for them to look at before the real problems come down the pike. You know, as a practitioner, you know that people don't just get sick tomorrow. It's years usually in the making. 
And what I try to do in practice for years is to try to listen to their history, listen to their story. What is your body trying to tell them and tell us? And we can interpret that and say, okay, you've got some underlying problems brewing here. Let's support those underlying weak links and bring them back in the house before real problems come. And that's what I give them. So they don't have to wait until all of a sudden, out of the blue, I've got this wheat toxicity issue. There was a digestive permeability issue and an underlying digestive issue that was going on for many, many years. And I, I, I promise you, if you look at those clinical cases, those symptoms were there longstanding. I, I just want to say that I am really uh, delighted that you and I have had this opportunity to talk this out because what we just did hardly ever happens. You know, people dig their heels in and they take a position and the, the most you get from them are their blogs that are very one-sided and this kind of back and forth hardly ever happens. So I appreciate it. And, and I also want to say I really appreciate uh, how much hard work went into this book because, you know, I, I, there, there clearly was. Your references are, are terrific. You and I don't fully agree. That's okay. Uh, but I think there's great information in your book and I very, very much enjoyed reading it. I would encourage uh, viewers to take a look at this book because it does raise some very interesting questions and I'm really glad that you did it. Well, I like, you know, I think you said it's extremely rare for this kind of dialogue to happen and it would only have happened with someone like you or you were willing to say yes to this. And I think it's such a great discussion. People need to hear it. And I want to thank you for being who you are and all the sex you have Thank is you. so well-deserved, mostly because of who you are. You're a dear friend of mine. I love you. One of the most brilliant people I know. And actually having this debate with you, I must say, very intimidating, but super grateful for the opportunity to have this platform with you. Truly. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And I also want uh, our viewers to know that I learned a lot by reading your book. And again, I'm encouraging people to read it. Uh, it's good that you read things from all quarters and then form your own opinion. You're the best. Great. David, thank well, you. Great to see you again, John, and I hope we get to actually see each other in the real world really soon. That'd be great. Thank okay. you. Well, I so enjoyed uh, our interview today with Dr. Duliard. Again, I've known him for such a long time. I very much respect him. I respect his work. I even uh, very much respect what went into this book uh, with a title that may not necessarily resonate with everything that I believe. Uh, but that said, there was terrific information in the book. And you know, at the end of the day, I think it's so important that when people have views that may not line up, that they talk about it instead of uh, simply attack one another on the internet or through other uh, forums. So I enjoyed, uh, again, seeing Dr. Duliard uh, again, and uh, I enjoyed his book, and I think it's really good information uh, that we should all digest, uh, no pun intended. I want to thank you for joining us today. I'm Dr. David Perlmutter. Bye-bye.